today's scripture is printed here. It's, it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, I'll read it aloud, and as I read it, you can, uh, you can just follow along in your bulletins. <coughs> Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we, are know, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, but and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we in him, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Though honor, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. You know, give me a minute. Before I start, let me get my tea. <coughs> Just so you know, <coughs> I don't have to clear my throat. Uh, all right. You know, I'm, s- I'm seeing a couple of people here who... Uh, you know, maybe who seem to visit, maybe for the holidays you went somewhere uh, to another state, maybe even another country. Uh, I know at least uh, one of you went to another country to go home. And you know that moment where you're on an airplane and you're flying over uh, New York, especially if you're going to land in LaGuardia, you get this great view of New York City and you look out the window and you go, wow, New York City is such a beautiful city. And you see it from that perspective, you see all the skyscrapers, if you're flying at night, uh, you see how beautiful the lights are, and uh, you just kind of marvel at the beauty of New York City. Most of our days 
are not like that, and most of our days we don't experience that. I think most of our days we kind of live in the day-to-day, in the daily grind, on the ground, and what we see is, as we're trying to get from point A to point B, is uh, we see the crowded streets, we uh, smell the smelly streets, especially if you're walking on 32nd Street, uh, you, uh, you see the chaos, you see the ugliness, you see the honking, you see the, the cab drivers almost hitting you, and uh, you see all of these things that are undesirable when you're kind of just in the midst of the, the day-to-day daily grind. Sometimes, though, I think it's Im- important to just get a bigger perspective uh, in life in general, and it's important to kind of take that uh, from the airplane view perspective on life, uh, upon all these things because if we just kind of look at the, the trees instead of looking at the entire forest, uh, things can seem kind of ugly and our lives can seem pretty uh, frustrating. Uh, our lives can seem a little bit uh, not great. But then you kind of take a step back and you, you see the bigger picture and you say, wow, there's a lot of good things that are happening and it could put your struggles and frustrations in a different light. Uh, today, this, this message is going to be a little bit more reflective, less, uh, less preachy, uh, just because it's the first year of New, year, uh, New Year's. But also, I'm, honestly, I'm in a reflective mood. And uh, this past week, I went to a cabin all by myself. Uh, you know, I invited the elders to come, but they were busy. So I just went all by myself. <laughs> and uh, the reason I went to this cabin, uh, you know, I love my family, but honestly, sometimes I just needed to get away. <laughs> Because uh, it, it's just so hard to, to think and to reflect and to get like this, you know, to understand like what is God doing, not in my life, but as, especially as a pastor of the church, what is God doing uh, with this group and this community of people? So I just got away and uh, it was cut short because of this storm. So I went that day and I came back home that night around <laughs> midnight, but it was still a, a wonderful time of about eight hours of just praying, reading scripture. Uh, one of my goals is I wanted to be bored because I feel like boredom is such an important thing that we don't experience much because of our technology. So I said, I'm not going to touch my phone. I'm not going to look at anything. I just want to be bored because in my boredom, uh, that's when thoughts begin to start coming into my head. That's when I begin to reflect. So I did that, and I was, uh, you know, I was praying. I was reading scripture. I was reading some books. And uh, I, I thought about, I'm trying to think about the big picture of what's going on uh, in, in our church community and where is God leading us. And uh, I reflected, of course, on uh, how, how am I doing as a pastor. And quite honestly, you know, there's some things I, I wish I did better and I could do better. Uh, but, you know, when you're, you're living in the moment of kind of the day-to-day of the week, uh, I realize it's so easy to lose sight of that bigger perspective. And oftentimes, what, at least what I see is I see this looming deadline of Sunday and the sermon that needs to get done. Uh, I see uh, all these meetings that uh, I need to schedule, all these people I need to meet, all the counseling that needs to be done, all the administrative tasks that need to be done. And uh, I think a lot of times I just kind of live my life reacting to what's right in front of me rather than kind of seeing the bigger picture. And I'm sure many of you can relate. Uh, I think about things like, you know, how are the men's and women's group doing? Uh, are people showing up? Are people connecting? Are people becoming friends? Are people praying? Uh, I think about all the people who are serving, and I'm so thankful because there are so many people here behind the scenes who uh, maybe you do not know, but they do so much work and just, uh, even just Sundays, getting the space ready and allowing us to come here and to worship. And I think about those people, I go, uh, are they serving with joy or are they getting burned out? And is this just kind of drudgery? Uh, I think about, you know, in New York City, it's a very transient place and people are moving all the time. And this year, we we lost uh, a lot of people who moved away. We we lost... uh, 
Welcome back, by the way. <laughs> but, right? We lost one of our uh, elders who moved to San Francisco. By the way, I heard, uh, well, actually, let, let me not say that. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, I, I think about these things. And then, obviously, that creates holes, uh, not just in terms of tasks, not in terms of roles, but even just in terms of our community and what people can kind of bring to the community just in terms of who they are and just by their, their simple presence. Uh, I, I think about, uh, you know, whether we have enough volunteers to, um, uh, some of the, uh, at least some of the parents I think know that we're trying to start a nursery so that parents can drop off their kids and worship here freely and not have to stay with their, their babies, uh, but we need volunteers for that. I'm like, oh, are we going to get enough volunteers for that? And then children's ministry, we need volunteers for that. Uh, all these things, right? Little details that I, I find myself thinking about a lot, just the day-to-day kind of things. And, uh, of course, these details are important, but it's not the big picture, right? And once in a while, I think it's important just to remember the bigger picture uh, of what we're trying to do. Now, um, a lot has happened in our church the last year. I don't know if you realize how much has happened. Uh, the biggest thing is, you know, we, we changed our, our service time, and about a year ago, we moved here. So we've been here for about a year. Uh, we, we changed the structure of a, a couple things, like our small group structure. Uh, you know, we started a Bible study that's, you know, much more learning-focused. Uh, we started a formal children's ministry and children's program and even hired a children's ministry director. We committed to supporting uh, a school in Asia called Bridges. And if you remember, Rose did this fundraiser uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago now, uh, selling kimchi. And that fundraiser was to help support this school. And uh, coincidentally, the name of that school is also a vision that uh, the elders and I, we thought about and we shared about a year ago about what kind of church we want to be and what kind of church we want to build here at Good News Church. And it's actually related to the name of this school that we're supporting, uh, Bridges. We want to be a church that builds bridges. And if you look at the back of your bulletin, very small at the bottom, right, it states that we, uh, Good News Church is a church that exists to build bridges. There are three kind of bridges that we want to build. And when we started last year, I did this 12-week sermon series about the kind of bridges that we want to build. We want to build a bridge so that people can connect and find a place to belong here in this particular spiritual community. We want to build bridges so that people can connect with Christ and grow in their relationship with Christ. Uh, And we want to be bridge builders and partner with other ministries uh, because there's, uh, quite honestly, there's way too much of a sense of competition and and turf wars of uh, when, in the end, everything belongs to Christ anyway and it's all about his kingdom. And what we should be doing is trying to support, partner, and work together for the sake of the gospel. So we talked about very specific topics, things like hospitality, things like friendship, accountability, discipleship, things like gospel partnership. You know, I challenged you a year ago This year, try to make one friend, right? Try to make one new friend. And I said, if you could do that, then this has been a very fruitful year for you because even making one new friend is something that is hard to do. And uh, yeah, I'm sure most of you don't remember me saying that. Uh, But if you do, just think about the past year and ask yourself, have you you made one friend? Because if you have, I think it's been a very good year for you. Today, what I want to do is... um, not look at the details, and obviously I'm not going to go through this whole series again about building bridges. This is just kind of revisiting this theme of what kind of church we want to be, 
but uh, we want to take that occasional trip on this plane and fly over, landing in LaGuardia, but we want to take a look at the city and see the bigger picture of the kind of church that we want to be. Now, where did this idea of bridges come from? Well, it's basically just an illustration. It's a picture of what we think uh, God is calling the church to do. Uh, If you think about a physical bridge, and there are many, especially in Manhattan, because uh, Manhattan's surrounded by bodies of water. You have the Brooklyn Bridge, you have the Manhattan, you have the Williamsburg, you have the George Washington Bridge. All of these bridges are very important and serve important functions in terms of the infrastructure of how the city operates and how the city works. You know, if you didn't have these bridges, I I imagine New York City would be a very, very different place. Uh, Bridges, what they do is they, they bring together things that are divided. Uh, whether it's bodies of water, bodies of land, even people, even boroughs, even communities. Now you can, even though you live in Brooklyn and you're divided by a body of water because of bridges, and I guess we can include tunnels in that, now you can connect with somebody who lives in Manhattan. Bridges are very important. But here's the thing about bridges. Uh, Brooklyn Bridge, of course, is the exception, but most people don't go to a bridge in order to marvel at the bridge, right? Most people don't say, this George Washington Bridge... What an amazing structure. Um, Rather, bridges, ultimately, they don't get much glory. Bridges get stepped on, walked on, driven on. Uh, Nobody really notices them until they're not working anymore. And then it's like, oh, this bridge is not working. What is wrong with this bridge? And uh, I I think that's kind of how uh, churches and I would say even believers should be, that we shouldn't be seeking to uh, draw glory or draw any kind of credit to ourselves, to the good things that we do, but we want to be a people who, uh, who draw glory to someone else, namely Christ. You know, I think most people are pretty good at building platforms uh, rather than building bridges. And part of the reason is because I think our culture encourages that. Uh, you know, I, I talked to a couple of you, and you know, at like these networking events that some of you may attend for work or something, Uh, I know self-promotion is important. If you want to get anywhere uh, in your career, you have to be able to promote yourself, right? You have to be able to market yourself. Even the way social media is, it's kind of, you know, you want to promote the things that you're doing and the good things that you're doing. And, you know, I've talked to you and if uh, some of you, and I know, right, many of you come from uh, Asian cultures and you say there's kind of like this conflict because maybe the culture that you grew up in, it's not really about self-promotion but then you, uh, you live in the realities of this world and you realize you kind of have to be that way if you want to get anywhere, and if you want to get noticed, if you want to uh, get a promotion even, and that's just kind of how it is. But that value of self-promotion that I think is so important, it, it, it is in conflict, I think, with what the call of the church ultimately is because our call is not to promote ourselves. Our call is not to build platforms. Our call is to promote the name and the glory of Christ and that is it, right? As an aside, uh, you know, I've been hearing commentary from, you know, people ranging from, like, politicians to, like, comedians, and a lot of them seem to be saying the same thing, but it feels like, uh, it feels like our, our particular society uh, is getting more and more fractured because you have these growing divisions uh, that are caused either by pol- political differences, by racial differences, by ideological differences, by religious differences, by socioeconomic differences. And what people are saying is now there is this trend not towards coming together and reaching across the lines, 
but there is this greater trend towards tribalism where you just kind of uh, stick with people who agree with you. And again, the internet allows for that and creates a situation where we can do that because now you have all these options to choose what media outlets to read and who to follow on Twitter and whatnot. And you kind of can be tempted to get stuck in this echo chamber where you kind of get this feedback loop of people that you like and the opinions that you like, kind of reinforcing your own opinions. And uh, it, they say it's, it's leading to a greater sense of tribalism. Well, when you have tribalism, and by the way, I know Christians are, are not very different and Christians can be very tribal as well. Uh, but I think if, if we do embrace the, the message of the true gospel, uh, rather than this maybe cultural form of Christianity or this cultural idea of Christianity, I do think it does give us not only the, uh, the resources, but the impetus to not do that. To reach across the aisle, to reach across people who are different, who have different ideas, different opinions, and to build bridges and to draw more connections. Why? Because one of the themes of the gospel is this idea of reconciliation. Now, <clears throat> this is a first for me in, uh, I guess, the last three years that I've been preaching every week. I haven't planned out the next sermon series. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to preach on next week. <laughs> Prayer. That's a good one. Uh, but, you know, as I was preparing this message, I was like, oh, there's so much in this passage that um, I want to talk about. And, uh, I think maybe I'll just preach on this passage the next couple of weeks because it's so rich. But you see, this passage, uh, you know, the letters to the Corinthian church, you know, you have 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the Bible. They're interesting because they're, they're very personal letters and they're addressing a very particular situation. And reading these letters, you know, it's not like you read Romans and you kind of get this theological treatise, but it's kind of like reading somebody else's mail and somebody addressing somebody else or a group of people and kind of seeing how they are addressing a particular situation. And Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church is kind of like that. And when you read the Corinthian letters, it's a little bit like that. And one of the issues that Paul and the Corinthian church is facing is that the Corinthian church, they actually question the authenticity of Paul's apostolic ministry, and they're questioning his credibility. And so this section is basically Paul. He, he's kind of defending himself and defending his ministry and defending his uh, uh, apostleship. And uh, the way that Paul does that is, I think, so, uh, so great. And he does it by he, he laying out implications of the gospel. You know, last year I, uh, I got to meet this, uh, this pastor in New York. Uh, his name is Dave Whitehead. But we were just talking about preaching. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he said that kind of stayed with me in my mind is he said this. You know, in my sermons, I don't do applications anymore. And I said, oh, what does that mean? You don't do applications anymore. And he said, no, no, I don't do applications anymore. Rather, what I try to do is gospel implications. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, when you think about an application, basically it conveys this idea that, uh, you know, I'm going to take this gospel, I'm going to use this gospel and I'm going to apply it to my life and to my heart in the way that I think it should be applied. And there's a sense of where, right, the self, the individual has control over what we think needs to change about us and change about our hearts. But then he talked about implication. He said, you know, if the gospel is true, and if we say that we believe in the gospel, there are implications to that. There are things that it should do to us, and it's not something that we simply choose to apply or not apply. 
And I, I thought that was a very interesting point and a, a very interesting thing that he said. It, it really made me think. And when I look at the passage here and what Paul is saying here, what he's laying out here, I think what he is laying out here are implications. Implications of the gospel. If you believe this, if I believe this, if this is something that is true, these are the things that the gospel does to us. And so today, just very briefly, I want to look at three of those implications that I think are going to be necessary if we want to be a church community that can build bridges. And the three implications are this. First, the death of self. Second, the priority of reconciliation. And finally, the widening of our hearts. Now, I'm going to give myself leeway to kind of be brief here because uh, I have the option of continuing to preach on this in subsequent weeks. So uh, I will not go too deeply into this, but I just want to at least touch upon those three things. So first, first implication, the death of self. Now, just look at the first part of the passage, uh, verses 11 to 15. Uh, I think what we can do is we can summarize what Paul is saying. Uh, He's saying something like this. Uh, He is not concerned about himself anymore. Uh, He isn't in ministry so that he can receive commendations. He isn't in ministry so that the Corinthian church and the Corinthian people would be impressed by him and his credentials and what he is able to do. That is not his motivation at all. Rather, we can pinpoint his motivation to verse 14 where he says, For the love of Christ controls us, for we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That verse actually not the easiest verse to translate, but I do like this translation. Uh, That word translated as controls, uh, you can translate it as compels, you can translate it as holds fast, you can even translate it as constrains. And the reason I like the translation that the love of Christ controls us is that it shows that the love of Christ is something that is a power. It's not just this inspirational thing, but it's actually a power and it does something to us. It's not as though it uh, just kind of makes us feel good, but it changes us. It leads to things. If we did translate it as constrain, how would it constrain us? I think Paul would say this. It constrains us from living for ourselves alone. You know, one of the commentaries I read, uh, it summarizes a verse like this. He says, The love of Christ keeps Paul from living for himself and instead causes him to pour out his life for others. Why? Because Christ died for all. And we see the implications of that further expounded in verse 15, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see how this whole section, what Paul is saying, basically the implication of the gospel, the implication of what Christ did, that he died for all, the implication is this, my life is no longer my own. The love of Christ controls me, it compels me, It constrains me from living for myself and now calls me to live for someone else. Now, I think that's going to be, quite honestly, probably the biggest challenge for all of us. It's going to be a challenge because, you know, I think people are always somewhat selfish and self-centered. That's that's part of the effect of sin. But uh, I think it's a greater challenge for us because, at least in our culture, uh, we we tend to elevate self, and that's a cultural value. So... Uh, when we do do that, when we are more self-centered, when we do think about ourselves first, uh, I think for the most part, that's expected. For the most part, it's not something that people say, oh, that's bad and you shouldn't do that. You know, we, uh, we are a people who try to derive meaning and purpose from ourselves to a much greater degree than I think previous generations. 
Uh, there's this philosopher named Charles Taylor who I've talked about in the past, but he says that uh, something that has emerged is what he calls the buffered self, uh, contrasted with something he calls the porous self. If you think about something porous, you have these external authorities that can penetrate the self and change you. But now he says we are a people who have buffered ourselves so that external authorities can no longer penetrate us. And the only thing that can change ourselves has to come from within. And that is a very dangerous place to be. Very dangerous place to be. But that is, I think, where many of us find ourselves. And, uh, you know, it's a dangerous place to be just for our emotional health, I think. But it's also dangerous because if you are a believer, it does contradict what I think Scripture says about who we are and about what God does uh, God is ultimately the one who's supposed to penetrate us and get to our hearts and change us. The love of Christ is supposed to do that. But the reason I think why it's going to be a challenge for us to do that is because we live in this matrix. We live amongst this cultural value, and so because we live in it, sometimes maybe we don't even realize that that is how we are operating. But here's the thing. The implication of the gospel is this. Your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. Christ loved you. Christ redeemed you. He purchased you at the price of his own life by his own very blood. Now, if all that is true, how can you believe that your life is your own? How can you think that your dreams are your own and the only dreams that matter are your dreams? See, Paul, he couldn't think like that. He could only pour out his life for others, even for people who didn't respect him, like this Corinthian church. If we want to build bridges, we have to die to ourselves. <laughs> and we can't think about ourselves first, but we have to understand that our lives ultimately belong to Christ. Our purpose is Christ's purpose. Our dreams should be Christ's dreams. And therefore, we have to pour ourselves out for others, just like Paul did, even when they don't respect us or like us, because that is ultimately what Christ did. And again, the gospel, the love of Christ, it's not simply a feel-good inspirational message, although it could be that. It's much more. It is a power, and it has the power to do something to us. Second implication, priority of reconciliation. Uh, What I notice is there's a lot of positive talk about diversity and unity, But I also notice this. I don't really think people deep down understand how hard it is to achieve unity and diversity. Uh, Most people are probably drawn to uniformity, which means that, uh, you know, just being people who are similar, whether similar ideologically, similar history, similar values, whatever it means, uh, it's much easier to be with people like that because, and this relates back to the first point, you don't have to die to yourself. You can keep conflict at a minimum. You don't have to do the hard work of reconciliation when there is an offense or when there is a misunderstanding. But you see, at the heart of the gospel is a message of reconciliation. You know, I know sin uh, to the modern world sounds like archaic language, and uh, someone, the average person outside of church, you talk about sin, they probably don't know what you mean by sin. But we can say this. One of the things that sin does pretty clearly is it divides Sin divides. Sin divided us from our creator. Sin divides us from each other. Sin divides groups from each other. Sin divides churches even. Sin creates dysfunction and hostility and aggressiveness and passive aggressiveness. 
And one of the things that God did when he gave us Christ is he gave us a message of reconciliation. Now, look at what Paul says in verse 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the good news of the gospel, that even though sin divided even though sin divided us from our creator God, God didn't allow sin to keep us divided. Rather, he showed grace, mercy. He reached out across the table by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon a cross in order to bring reconciliation between God and man. You know, as I said, bridging division, it's, it's not easy. Building bridges, not easy. Reconciliation, not easy. In fact, it's very costly. It came at a great cost in the death of Christ. And just on a practical level, have you ever tried to reconcile with somebody? Uh, maybe somebody who's done something um, you know, seriously wrong to you. Have you ever tried to seek reconciliation? It, it's pretty hard. See, one of the reasons why it's hard is uh, it does require you to die to yourself. Uh, you have to die to your own pride. You have to die to your own ego. And if you were the person who was wronged, you have to die to your own sense of righteousness. And that, that's so hard to do, right? That is so hard to do. And you might do it if you think that the person uh, will benefit you in some way in the future. Uh, but if that person isn't important to you, and if you don't think that per- person will benefit you in the future, then there really is no rational reason why you would seek out reconciliation and bring yourself to that kind of death unless you have this paradigm shift, unless you yourself have received the reconciliation that has come from God in Christ, unless you understand that God is the one who reached out to you and reconciled you to himself, even though you had nothing to really offer him. And again, if you believe in the gospel, the implication is you think reconciliation is something that is important. Now, some of us, we might, <clears throat> might kind of say, reconciliation is so hard, I can't fathom uh, seeing it happen. It just seems like a great impossibility. And if that is you, you know, I would actually encourage you to maybe read up on some of the things that happened in places like South Africa <laughs> and Rwanda. Now, I'm not a great historian. I don't know everything that happened there in terms of details. I just know I probably surface-level things. But even the surface-level things, it, it's amazing some of the stories and some of the things that you hear about what happened there because, honestly, uh, in apartheid, horrific things happen. Really terrible things happen. And yet, you read some of the stories of reconciliation, um, you know, it's really powerful. I was actually reminded of this, and um, you know, don't judge me for watching this, but on Netflix, uh, Dave Chappelle came out with like a new stand-up comedy special. And, uh, yeah, I read a lot of reviews on it. Uh, some of them are not so good. <laughs> but anyway, there, there was this one part where he talks about, he actually, there's like a serious moment where he's talking about this idea of reconciliation. And uh, he, he's, you know, noticing all the division in, in our country. And he's basically saying, you know what the cure is here? The cure here can be found in South Africa. And what he means by that is, you know, he talks about how men like Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela how they worked to 
fix this broken and corrupt system through this hard work of reconciliation. And uh, you know, one of the reasons why Desmond Tutu worked so hard on the work of reconciliation is because he knew something very important. He knew that those who are oppressed can easily become the oppressors. And therefore, it's going to create this new cycle, this vicious cycle of, of violence and hatred. And the only way to break that cycle is to bring about healing through justice and through reconciliation. And that's, that's how you bring healing and restoration to a broken system. And uh, he's also very, like if you read some of the interviews that he, uh, where he talks about this work, he knows it's, not a, it's, it's probably one of the most difficult works to ever do. I would say by God's grace, they were able to bring about a lot of reconciliation in that area. And, you know, uh, honestly, I don't know how central the gospel was for, for these men in terms of doing that work. My assumption is it was important at least for Desmond Tutu because he was a bishop or an archbishop in the Anglican Church. But I would say this, you know, whenever reconciliation seems impossible, I think the gospel shows us that there is a God who can bring about the possible even through that which seems impossible. But it comes at a great price, does it not? Finally, the last implication of the gospel. I'm going to be the briefest on this, but I think it's important. I think it's having open hearts. Now, I, I've read this passage many, many times. I've never noticed this phrase, though, uh, until this past week. If you look at verses 11 to 13, Paul says this, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. To me, this seems like maybe one of the most personal addresses to the Corinthian church. And he's basically telling them this. You know, even though there is this kind of rift in our relationship, uh, and even though you kind of doubt my apostolic ministry, I have not closed my hearts to you. I have not stopped loving you or caring for you. Our hearts are wide open to you. Open your heart to me as well. You know, the reason that their heart is closed, he says, is because of their affections, because of their desires. You see, when our desires control us, you know what happens. Uh, reconciliation actually becomes harder, and that's when we begin to close our hearts to other people. Why? Because those things typically mean that we don't get what our heart desire. Uh, building bridges, seeking reconciliation. When we do the, that work, we, we typically lose out on what we want, right? We probably desire freedom, or we want our comforts. We want our uh, status or our autonomy or our respect or our security, whatever it is. And because we over-desire these things, right? we want our nice life that we envisioned living. When we over-desire these things, these affections can actually hinder us from opening our heart to others. And when we can't open our hearts to others, we can't be bridge builders. God has op opened his heart to us, friends. He's opened his heart to us. He has given us Christ. Jesus Christ himself has poured out his life for us. He died upon a cross. He experienced the very wrath of God so that we might be reconciled to him. 
Let us open our hearts first to him if we haven't, but let us also open our hearts to others so that we might build bridges. You know, um, let me be honest with you for a moment. One of the areas where I feel like I haven't done a great job, uh, I don't think I've done enough to cultivate really a, a prayerful church. And uh, every year, I, I always say, we need to pray more. <laughs> we need to pray more. And every year, it seems like um, we're just not doing a good job of that. I'm going to take advantage of now, okay? This is the uh, first year, first Sunday of the new year. Let's spend uh, maybe an extended time of in prayer, and let's pray. Um, maybe for a, a few minutes or so. Uh, maybe somebody from the worship team can maybe come. I want you to, to seriously, right, not just close your eyes and, and think about what you're going to do after church. I want you to seriously think about what you believe. What do you believe? And if you believe in this gospel message, think about what the implications of that are. And it's a struggle. It's hard. But it's not impossible because God has given every resource to us in Christ to do it. So let's pray and ask God, change my heart. Show me the power of the gospel. Help me to know what you've done for me and what you call me to do. Help me to draw strength, not from myself, but from you and from your work. And maybe after uh, a few minutes of prayer, um, I'll I'll just close us and then uh, we can continue on our worship.